Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome into episode two of the Landscape Photography Show. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Mark Denny. Now, Mark has really blown up on YouTube recently, and he's been able to get a huge following on that platform, which can be really difficult to do. So I applaud Mark Denny on that. But it's not just because of his on-camera charisma. He also has a great way of explaining his photography to people, explaining how he does things and post-processing. In this episode, we're going to pick Mark's brain about different things within photography that he enjoys so much. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Mark Denny. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. He's Mark Denny. He joins us on the podcast now. Um, Mark, first of all, how old are you? I had actually just celebrated my 40th birthday just a couple months ago. Okay, I was gonna guess like thirty-eight. Oh, okay, all right. So I'm I was winning. right. I was right <laughs> around that same time frame. Uh, you know what I respect, like, and love about you so much is that you made the jump to landscape photography like a little bit later than I feel like a lot of people originally did. Yes, I uh, I definitely did. It was something that I, you know, I was I was always into photography growing up. But what was interesting about it is I wasn't actually into the actual taking pictures aspect of it all. I was more into the technology of cameras. My, uh, my grandmother used to work in the, the, the photo department at uh, Kmart, if you remember Kmart's. Yeah, yeah. And I used to go there and visit her all the time. And I was just so fascinated with the technology of cameras. I'm a, I'm a real techie kind of geeky guy. So I always liked that, but what was so interesting is I never actually got into taking photos until I was really in, gosh, maybe my later teen years or maybe early 20s. But um, I never really thought about making a, a full-time career out of it until I would say my early 30s. That's really interesting. Most of the time, you know, when you ask people how they got started in landscape photography. They're like, oh, I I loved going out in nature. Uh, I loved hiking. I mean, obviously you probably love those things too, but, but you're more of like the tech side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what really, that's what originally drew me into it was just uh, the technology and the the gadgetry of cameras. Now, when you, when you made the jump to being full-time, did the thought ever creep into the back of your mind like this, could never really happen or was it just all in let's go for it let's see what happens it was it was definitely a a gradual process um i'm trying to think back to where i really first got into landscape photography i think i just started to you know what it was it was a family trip to washington dc it was um, my kids' spring break. We took them there. This was before I really got into it again. And I started to, to pay attention to all the tourists' cameras that they had. 
And I just paid, you know, mental attention to this. And then when I got back, I started just uh, very casually looking up online, just different specs of cameras. I just wanted to see kind of like where the technology had gone because I really hadn't, hadn't paid any attention to anything related to photography in years. And then that's kind of where the bug started. And as you know, you know, once that bug gets a hold of you, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's easy to really run away with it. And then I bought a, a, uh, an entry-level Nikon. I think it was a D3200 or 3300. And then that's kind of where the, uh, you know, my, I guess you could say, uh, passion for photography really started to kind of reignite itself. What, what did you do before photography? So I was, uh, I went to the uh, University of Georgia, I graduated, I moved down to South Florida, and I got a job with a financial marketing firm. And I actually worked at the same company for 17 years. So from the age of uh, 22, until about 38, 39 years old. Now, okay, so you're a Bulldogs guy. I'm a Bulldogs guy. Yep. And a Miami Hurricanes fan. I'm, I'm originally from South Florida as well, but uh, I'm a, a definitely a Bulldogs fan. Okay. I'm a Vols fan. So like, yeah, I know you are. <laughs> we're, we're on troubled times right now, man. I know. I know. I saw that. I watched a little bit of the game last week and I was like, oh man, it could be a tough season for uh, old Rocky Top. <laughs> I thought, I thought while I was watching that game, I was just like, man, the good part about this is I'm not going to waste so much time watching college football this year. Absolutely. See, that's, there's always a, a, a good side to everything. Well, fill me in on like you obviously bought into Nikon when you first started getting back into it. You're shooting Sony now, I believe. Where where did that switch come in? So I, you know, much like I think when a lot of people really get into photography, you buy that entry level camera, and then the the bug really gets you, and then you start you have that mentality. Well, if I upgrade to this camera, I'll be this much better, and then this camera will make me this much better. And I definitely fell into that trap. My story is actually rather comical. I think I I went from a a D. 3,200 or 3,300. And in about three or four months later, maybe not even that long, I jumped all the way up to a Nikon D750. So I went from a crop to a full frame in just a, a couple months. And then I had the D750 for about four months, five months. I can't remember exactly how long, a very short time frame, And then jumped all the way up to a Sony a7R2. Okay. And it didn't make me, I mean, I definitely didn't take any better photos <laughs> using the A7R2 than I did the, the, uh, the entry level Nikon. But I think uh, a lot of people kind of fall into that. And I know I definitely did. Well, what do people need to know about that? Like not falling into the trap and, and kind of just using what they have? You know, it's, it's an interesting one and it's, you know, I think it's easy to say, you know, and we all hear this gear doesn't matter. Everybody kind of preaches that. And it, and it really doesn't. I, where I think gear matters is in like personal excitement. And that's what I got out of upgrading to the D750 and the A7R2 was just more excitement about what I was doing. And I think that helped me to become a better photographer. But the actual technology inside of those camera upgrades, I don't think really did that much for me. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to tell somebody that gear doesn't matter when I think we're all out there spending, you know, as much money as we can on our gear. Although I'm still using the Sony a7R2, which I'm kind of proud of myself. I haven't made the leap to any of the, uh, 
uh, the R3 or the the upcoming R4 or anything like that just yet. Yeah, I you know I find it humorous whenever I go shooting with somebody or or take some people out on a workshop because you know I'm still using the Sony A6000. I actually just uh, switched over to the Fuji XT30, but that's still not like the Fuji flagship camera that they use and people always ask me like well you why aren't you shooting like the xt3 or the a7r3 or r4 i'm just like it doesn't really matter what camera you're using like 24 megapixels to you know whatever they're coming what is the a7r4 50 60 i think it's like 62 or i think i think it's in the low 60s it's crazy yeah i'm like if you're not really blowing up your photos to like a five foot print it doesn't really matter that much no not at all i 100 percent agree so yes. I, I was wondering you know i feel like we have different photography styles which i think is a cool thing can, can you explain in your best way possible like what your style is in landscape photography that's a good question. I, uh, you know, I, I often think about photography styles in general and what my personal style is. And it's something I've been searching for for quite a few years now. And I'm starting to come to the realization that, and I'm not speaking for everybody, but for me personally, I don't know if, if I even know what my photography style is. And I spent a lot of time trying to create a photography style. And now I'm starting to realize that maybe you don't really create a photography style, or maybe you don't find your style and maybe your style actually finds you. And that's kind of the notion I've been operating under for the last six months is to try and kind of go back to my older photos of, you know, what I've taken over the last year, my favorite images and try and dissect those to determine what I think my style is. And I really haven't made much headway there. I've just, I, 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 it's, it's a tough one. It really is. And I know a lot of people who put a lot of emphasis on trying to create a style, but I, I, I don't know if you can actually do that. Well, I do Not see sure. consistency in your images. I'd be curious what, what you would think my style is. That might actually help me to find out my style. Okay. Well, I see good use of leading lines. Like you like to use like water as leading lines a lot that I've seen, uh, in your images when there is water present. Um, and I see a lot of deep contrast, but you still pull out like an amazing amount of detail in your shadows and highlights, which I've always struggled to do. And I don't feel like you really fall into that category of, oversaturating or putting like tons of color into the image it's a little more pastel it looks like to me um which which i appreciate personally because uh, again that's something that i always seem to to fail at when that opportunity presents itself do you is that an accurate assumption yeah no i, I think you hit it on the head i uh, i definitely have noticed that i i try to create images that have a strong kind of foreground interest. And I do like to use water as leading lines a lot, but you, you hit the nail on the head about the colors. I, I do put 
a lot of emphasis on kind of a, a painterly look, very soft images. I almost always reduce clarity in most of my photos. Really? Yeah. Which is so ironic because everybody's after, or not everybody, but it's definitely the hot topic to get the cameras that have, you know, these 40, 50, 60 megapixel uh, sensors on them. But then so many people are reducing sharpness and reducing clarity. And it just seems kind of counterintuitive sometimes. But like my Sony a7R2, the images, they almost come out a little bit too sharp a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So I end up kind of softening them a little bit because I just I like that that more painterly, ethereal type of look. And I do the same thing with colors as well to try and kind of make colors in an image a little bit more um, kind of harmonious a little bit. Because I find a lot of times if you have I don't know if you saw the photo that I posted yesterday. Of, yes. uh, I spent probably 75 percent of the time editing that photo, just working on the colors. Okay. Just trying to get them all kind of as close together on the uh, on the color wheel as possible, just to kind of make the the image a little bit more easier on the eyes. So yeah, I, I put a lot of work into coloring. So when you are when you're teaching like how your style plays into your images or how infield work and post processing plays into that, like you do a lot of work for courses on visualwilderness.com is that easy for you to kind of show people and communicate that teaching style? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, there's definitely a way to look for scenes that have a more harmonious color palette. But obviously, like if you're on location, you can only work with what you have. And we obviously can't change the colors of the landscape. So you just kind of work with what you have. Try and come up with scenes that have um, not a lot of colors that that kind of fight for attention against each other. But I think that there's a lot of ways that you can make colors work together better in post-processing, really just by shifting the hues around a little bit. Um, now, not only are you teaching on visual wilderness, but you're also crushing it on youtube right now oh thank you how how is that happening you know i started to see i mean if you gauge it off of just subscribers i started to see subscriber numbers starting to go up when i became very consistent with my upload schedule so i upload now every wednesday 12 30 p.m eastern and i've stuck to that schedule now for i think almost 14 months, 15 months. And that's where I really started to see the the subscriber numbers come up. And I, I kind of treat my YouTube channel almost like a television show to where you can tune in every Wednesday, 1230 PM Eastern. And there's a new episode released about landscape photography. So I kind of look at it with that mindset as opposed to, because what I used to do is whenever I had content available, I would just rush through it. I would put an edit on it as fast as possible because I was so excited to release it. And I still get that way sometimes, but no matter what, I, I always stick to that 1230 Wednesday schedule. So consistency is, is kind of key in there. Yeah, I, I think consistency with YouTube is, is very, very important.
Hey, what's up guys? I just wanna pause real quick to address something Mark and I actually just talked about in the podcast, and that's courses on visualwilderness.com. Both Mark and I produce courses for visualwilderness.com that are gonna help you be a better photographer. They have courses from tons of photographers that are gonna help you be a better photographer in the field and then in post-processing as well. You can go to visualwilderness.com and check out all of those. You can get right now for a limited time my courses for 33% off by using the code David33 on those. Not only do they have courses, but you can also get yearly subscriptions so that you can access all of those videos and become the best photographer possible that you can be. For any links or anything like that, you wanna click over to directly to either Mark's courses or my courses that you can get for 33% off, go to davidjohnstonart.com forward slash Denny, that's D-E-N-N-E-Y. Now, back to the episode with Mark. Now, what are the some of the joys of like YouTube life? Oh wow! Um, you know, I just kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but the um, the excitement that I get when and, and I'm sure you know too, like when you when you have a a concept for a video and you execute it and you film it and you edit it and you just love the way it came out. The, the mm-hmm. audio is perfect. The the, the 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 topic is is on point and just that feeling of the, you know, the hours leading up to when I'm about to release a video that I'm really, really proud of. I feel like a kid at Christmas. And then when, then when the video goes live and hopefully it's well received and then the, you know, interacting with the audience and commenting, it's just, uh, that's a lot of fun for me. So pretty much all of Wednesdays is just, it's fantastic. It's the best day of the week for me. All right, let's let's flip it around. Challenges, and I'm I'm gonna go first here because I just experienced this. Um, I just got back from Joshua Tree National Park, yeah. and I filmed like this whole long like infield vlog of this location that it was was the whole reason that I went to Joshua Tree for, and. Um, you know, I was really proud of it, explained the composition and the color and the shot and the settings throughout the video and uploaded everything to my computer and started the editing process and my mic was turned off. So what are some of the challenges of YouTube life? So challenges, that's a good question. I would say and I don't know if this is a challenge, but I put a lot of pressure on myself to make every video better than last week's video. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was kind of saying, I don't, I don't really know if that's a challenge. I kind of think it's a good thing because it keeps me always striving to get everything better and not just the the content, but the, the little things like the, the audio in, in a video or the color grading or just the overall editing of the video or the thumbnail, you know, whatever it is, just always trying to make it better than the last week. And I think that that's probably the, the biggest challenge for me. And like I said, I, I really don't think it's a challenge. It's just, it, it puts a lot of pressure on myself, but it, it's good pressure. It always 
kind of strive to get better. Yeah, it. I mean, that has to weigh on you over time. And there has to be a point where you say to yourself, like, it's going to be okay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. It, and it happens a lot too, where, you know, you release a video and it's just not nearly as well received as, as you thought it was. And, and yeah, and I do this, I do exactly what you just mentioned, David. I, just, I almost tell myself, it's okay, Mark, there will be another week and you'll, you'll get another, you'll get a better video out. But yeah, it's uh, sometimes the pressure can feel, uh, I don't want to say suffocating, but um, it, it can get a little, a little much sometimes to always be getting better and better and better. Yeah. How do you deal with like haters on YouTube? You know what? Knock on wood. I don't, um, I don't really get a ton of negative feedback. I, um, and maybe they just, um, they just leave my channel. I don't, I don't really know, but I do, I would say on, uh, on some videos and you know, you always get a couple, uh, uh, negative comments here or there, but I really just don't ever even engage with it. Although sometimes, you know, I'm, sh you know, it's sometimes you, you, you want to respond, but it's pretty easy to tell when there's somebody that's just trying to kind of get under your skin or trying to elicit uh, a reaction. And yeah. They're I, just fishing for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are really easy to see and I usually don't even respond. Based on what, what you're putting out on YouTube or like emails you get or comments you get, what do people who are interested in photography, what do they want to learn right now or most predominantly? Mm, that's a, I would say that I feel like there's a, a strong desire for very practical photography and for, you know, photography tutorial style information. So just things like, you know, what's exposure compensation or what's the exposure triangle or, or how do I get out of auto and just very practical things like that, because I'm sure you've tried to read a, a camera manual before. I mean, they're next to impossible. They're, yeah. they're written in different languages, literally, but they're, they're very difficult to, to navigate through. And I did this myself is, you know, if I didn't understand something, whether it's photography or how to change the oil in my motorcycle or, or whatever it is, I hop on YouTube and there's a great video out there about it. And I find that videos on YouTube are hands down better than 90% of the manuals out there, regardless of what type of piece of equipment you're trying to, to understand. So I just think like practical information about how to use your camera. I think people really are uh, looking for that. Now, you recently went to Yosemite um, based on what I've been following you and, and seeing you doing. I, I, I'm interested to hear what your experiences and thoughts were going out to Yosemite because it's always been really high on my list. I, I absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, if you haven't been there, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's, it's an amazing place. It's, it's photographed to death, but it, it, it didn't bug me at all. You know, I went to all of the most popular spots and they're so popular for a reason. I mean, they're absolutely just breathtaking. And I went there in the middle of the summer, which is uh, the busiest time. And it was busy there, but it wasn't too, too bad. 
but it was an it was an overall just fantastic experience. I I definitely want to get back there, but I want to try and spend as much time as I possibly can there because I think I was only there for maybe five days. In that type of a location, you could spend well, you could spend a lifetime there, really. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Do you find a difference? Like I'm in Tennessee, you're in North Carolina we're out east do you find a difference in shooting in the eastern united states versus the west oh yes big time definitely i find that i definitely love the uh, the west coast more than the the east coast um i just find that everything seems to be a little bit more grand on the west coast so like like the mountains and just everything the trees but i think that photographing fall is definitely better on the east coast but i predominantly would lean more towards the west coast for everything else is it easier to shoot on the west coast uh hmm i would i'm leaning more towards yes just because i think the subject matter tends to be a little bit better on the west coast like the the mountains foregrounds things yeah. like that yeah just more interesting elements of the landscape and it could be because i live on the east coast you know you become very familiar with where you live and a lot of times i think that when you visit a location that you've never been to before you kind of look at it through a different lens for lack of a better term like you you look at it a little bit differently because you've never seen that location before Mm-hmm. So it almost feels better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus yeah. like I, I live in North Carolina, so I see rolling foothills and the Blue Ridge Mountains. I see this all the time and I think I become kind of very used to it. So it's it's almost becomes a little too normal. Yeah. And I, I, I get what you're saying. Like a lot of times people ask me, you know, how do you frame this shot up and it's an overlook of just like stacked mountain ridges going back. And I'm just like, what do you mean? Just, I mean, strap on your lens and go for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like when you were out at Joshua tree, I'm sure that that landscape absolutely just blew you away. But if you talk to someone who's lived in Joshua tree for 20 years, they're probably like, yeah, it's pretty cool out here. There's a lot of better places, but it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what was interesting is I found it really challenging to shoot. I mean, I've been on the West coast and out that way before to photograph things like death Valley. I found very easy to photograph, um, California coast up that way. But Joshua tree, I had a really hard time putting together a good composition and I couldn't really figure out why I'm sure Yosemite is a little bit different than that. Yeah, I think Yosemite would, would, was, well, I've, I've never been to Joshua Tree. My wife was actually just there uh, leading a yoga workshop not too long ago, but we were doing, you know, a lot of research about Joshua Tree. And that's exactly what I thought when I was looking through all this, you know, research online, I was thinking, I was like, this seems like it might be somewhat tricky location to photograph where I think Yosemite is, is, is much easier. Right, right. Yeah. I get that. Now, we talked about style uh, some at the beginning of the interview. I, I'm interested to know who are some of the photographers that have kind of inspired you or your favorite photographers? Um, wow. 
I absolutely love the work of uh, Aaron Bobnick. I think she's absolutely tremendous. I've had the the pleasure of uh, of meeting her and working with her on a couple workshops um, a couple times over the past few years, and she's just an an absolutely fantastic uh, educator, a teacher, a person, and just the way that she goes about every aspect of her photography is is very impressive to me. She's actually a uh, a former uh, art uh, historian. So she knows a lot about the history of art and composition. And she has a lot of emphasis on colors. And I think she is probably what inspired me to put kind of a extra focus or extra attention on the colors that are that are in a scene. And um, if uh, anyone who's listening to this wants to get any kind of information on Erin. She's got a ton of fantastic articles on her website, especially related to color that I would encourage anybody to check out. Yeah. She's um, so bright and Oh yeah. Super, super intelligent. Thinks differently about photography than a lot of landscape photographers. Yes, I agree. Just a super nice person, but I think she's fantastic. Of course, um, Nick, Nick page. He's, he's fantastic. Super nice guy. I think his, uh, I like the way that his photos just literally jump off the screen and just just like I mean they're so I'm trying to even think of the word they're very intense mm. and and I and I really like that I love the way that um, he processes his images he's a, an absolute fantastic uh, editor I've, I've watched um, many of his courses you know luminosity masking and things like that and I think he's just absolutely tremendous. But um, he's fantastic. I think Greg Benz is phenomenal. Uh, of course, you know, the, uh, the legend Ansel himself. He's sure. uh, an inspiration to everybody. And I'm, I know if, at the end of this podcast, I'll probably think of 20 other photographers, but they're slipping my mind right now. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty solid list right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some more. But uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of them out there, though, a ton. So... What's coming up for you the remainder of this year and even into 2020? I mean, the year's wrapping up. I'm sure you already have plans for next year, too. Yeah, so I um, I am teaching at the Out of Oregon um, Landscape Photography Conference coming up in, I think, the beginning of October. That's being held um, on the Oregon coast in Newport, Um Nick Page will be there. Aaron will be there. So that's going to be a fantastic opportunity to hang out with them. Gavin Hardcastle will be there, who's an absolute riot. Um, I'm trying to think. So that will be, I think I'm going to be out there for a week and a half. I'm going to be teaching at the conference. And I'm going to spend a few extra days after that, probably just um, hanging out up and down the Oregon coast, just doing a little bit of uh, photography on my own, which I'm looking forward to. And then as soon as I get back, I'm going to try and make sure I spend as much time in Western North Carolina capturing the fall colors as I possibly can. It um, kind of escaped me last year. I didn't get to shoot. Actually, I find that a lot of landscape photographers say this at the end of, of fall. I hear everybody say I didn't get out enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's because it, it comes and goes so fast. So I'm definitely putting a, a renewed emphasis on that. Because quite frankly, I feel like I haven't been able to get out and shoot much this year. You know, this is my first full year of uh, being a full-time landscape photographer. And it's just been so much of the kind of business side of it all. And it hasn't left a lot of time to do actual photography. 
It's funny how that happens, right? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So now that we're, so we're moving out of the summertime and moving into fall, so I'm really looking forward to uh, just getting out and just doing some more uh, some more shooting. But as far as 2020 goes, I'm teaching at the um, the Out of Acadia uh, Landscape Photography Conference in Acadia National Park next October, and also teaching at the Out of Moab, which I believe is also in I think it's in September or October of next year which is with the same company that puts on the out of Oregon conference. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And I plan on doing, um, starting to do more of, um, kind of small group workshops, which I'll start in North Carolina doing those. So that's definitely going to be a a big emphasis for me in 2020. That's going to be like blue Ridge area. Yeah. Probably the blue Ridge area. Yep. Okay, cool, man. Awesome. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, sharing your thoughts on things and uh, just enlightening us a little bit about the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Denny. (laughs) You're too kind. I really appreciate it, David. Thanks for the invite.